What time is it? You know it's maritime. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about all things maritime. The maritime industry is a major driving force in the global economy, and it affects all of us where we live. Our goal with this podcast is to raise awareness about the extraordinary people and amazing companies in this industry. And I'm so excited to talk today with Bob Kehoe, the executive director of the Persane Vessel Owners Association, also referred to as the PSVOA. Hi there, my name is Colin Folon, and I'm a maritime lawyer at Schwabe, Williamson & Wyatt. And today I'm chatting with Bob Kehoe. Bob has in-depth experience in the maritime industry. Not only has he worked at the Persane Vessel Owners Association for nearly 25 years, eventually becoming its executive director, but he also worked as a maritime lawyer before that. Bob was appointed to the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission by Governor Inslee in 2013, and he also serves as the Vice President of the United States Fishermen of Alaska. Wow, that's quite a maritime resume, Bob. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. My pleasure, Colin. Thanks for inviting me and happy to be here. Glad to have you. Maybe we could start off by having you tell our listeners about your career path. You actually started working as a lawyer at Schwabe before you went to PSVOA. What was your what was your path? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So full disclosure, glad you brought that up. I started as a young associate. Well, not so young, but after I graduated from law school, I was fortunate to, fortunate enough to land a job at, at Schwabe at Seattle's office. And you're right. They put me right uh, in the admiralty practice. And I've been an admiralty geek, so to speak, legal geek, ever since. So yeah, you know, although I did kind of start law school a little bit later than many folks. Previously, I, I got a, a master's in master's science in public health from University of Massachusetts and did some time doing epidemiologic research at the State University of New York at Stony Brook, but, and has assisted me in my current role as executive director, not so much in the legal context, but in the world of fisheries, which is use a lot of statistical and sampling techniques. So uh, wow. that has uh, served me well. Oh, I bet. I bet. And and am I remembering correctly, you actually got connected to somebody at PSVOA through a case you were handling? It's funny, the, the twists and turns that life presents. When <laughs> I was uh, an associate at Schwabe, I had the occasion to meet a gentleman by the name of Rob Zuanich, who at the time was the executive director of Per Se Vessel Owners. And uh, Rob, of all things, was representing an injured crew member in a case. I defended the case, and we did go to trial. And interestingly enough, the verdict came in slightly above what we had offered in the case to settle. But nevertheless, Rob and I became friends, and just through our work there, and he told me about the growing insurance programs that he was administering. He just couldn't handle it on his own and uh, asked me to come join him as in-house counsel. Although I, I definitely liked my time at Schwabe, this was a good opportunity for me. I got great training as a young associate at Schwabe and have had the pleasure, Colin, of 
since that time of referring several cases to to the firm and working with you, another one of my mentors uh, when I was at the firm, Bert Markovich. So, yeah. Well, and it's, it's it's always fun to work with you, Bob. You know, that's interesting. You made a friendship with your adversary after a trial, and that's that's something that's actually, at least I found in my maritime practice, especially in the fishing industry, there's a strong sense of community, whether you are in commercial fishing or whether you are a service provider, like a lawyer uh, in the maritime industry. What would you say, why would you say that is? And you're right. I agree with you, Colin. I think it's because, and don't get me wrong, Many times, different fishing groups are are involved in bitter, I will say bitter, (laughs) allocation struggles. I mean, because fishing, fish is a limited and regulated resource, so there's only so much that goes around. But nevertheless, all of us in the commercial fishing industry face several, the same challenges, be it regulation by government agencies both at the federal and state level. You know, in my experience, um, there are many issues that can unite us and that we work very effectively. So you're right. Despite all our differences among different fishing groups, including processors, we have many issues of commonality. As my mentor and friend Rob Zuwanich says often, we all swim in the same tank. And so... (laughs) It really benefits us and it makes the fishing industry effective when we can rally together, pool our resources and our talents and address challenges that that face us all. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, you've mentioned insurance, you mentioned kind of the joint enterprise is the wrong phrase, but the, the... the association. Maybe you could tell our listeners, you know, what's the mission and purpose of PSVOA? Yeah, well, so... I represent basically it's the small fishing fleet. So not like uh, some of the boats that uh, some of your listeners might see on the deadliest catch or uh, maybe some of the larger factory trawlers. The folks that that are members of PSVOA and, and the other related groups are small, usually individually owned family businesses. Mm-hmm. And like, like any small business, in order to be successful, you need to limit your fixed costs. Mm-hmm. And in the fishing industry, because of kind of the unique legal framework that we operate in, and also the risk of collisions, injuries, groundings, and the liabilities that arise around those, Insurance is a is a very large fixed cost. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is, and we operate under Washington law that specifically provides for this, we operate kind of what is could be referred to as a mutual, if you will, or a cooperative, where the owners pool their funds and then for the purposes of, of getting insurance and then paying claims that come about. Now, of course, what we do is is that we also go out to the insurance market to purchase uh, a layer of coverage above what the reserve can handle because we don't want to have a situation where the reserve is exhausted and we're not able to to pay claims. So, 
in any event, it's much more cost effective than going out into the open market and placing your insurance individually. So that's the way that we can keep the insurance costs down and allow small business owners to be successful. And and part of that work, uh, you and your your colleagues will then help administer the claims. Like if somebody has a a P&I claim, protection indemnity claim, personal injury, you'll help manage or administer that claim. And then there's also, you deal with whole claims too, correct? That's right. I think we're able to do it because, you know, I have a really good understanding of the of maritime law and what the duties and responsibilities are of vessel owners. So we do manage the claims here in-house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the event of a lawsuit, we'll either handle that in-house, but more frequently we, we send them out to outside counsel, mm-hmm. such as Schwabi, mm-hmm. uh, to handle. So, so for, for some folks, hearing about insurance might not to them seem like the most exciting thing in the world, but what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, and the other thing too, is that of course we do charge, you know, a small management fee Mm -hmm. and that helps fund salaries and also it enables me then to be active and engage in kind of the bigger fisheries issues, you know, it allows me funding for travel to retain lobbyists and otherwise cannot fund the organization. So, you know, it works quite quite well. There are many fishing organizations, but many uh, organizations face challenges in getting funding to do the work that's necessary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's still a challenge for us, but the insurance program and the, and the funds that we generate it from it allow us to be significant players. Well, and, and uh, I inferred that that was that bigger picture is a, a part of what really motivates you too. I, I know you wrote an op-ed, I think in 2019 in the Seattle Times. You want to tell our listeners what that was about, what the, the issue was? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's, it's an issue is ongoing. We are working in DC as we speak, but yeah. So I wrote an op-ed in 2019 that had to do with the U.S. trade war with China and how that affects not only farmers who try to sell their products in China, but a lot of the U.S. seafood market is in China. Mm -hmm. And so what has happened is that when the Trump administration, in an effort to kind of level the playing field with China in terms of trade, instituted tariffs on Chinese products, not surprisingly, China retaliated. And, you know, the bottom line, without getting too much into the weeds, the bottom line is, is that it's challenging for the U.S. to compete now in the Chinese marketplace, particularly with seafood from other countries, Russia being a big one, that don't face the same tariffs as U.S. products. And as a result, what happens is that processors end up getting paid less for the product that they sell. And then the processors in turn then pay fishermen less than would ordinarily be the case without these tariffs. So the pitch was back in 19 is that, you know, the Trump administration through the USDA had uh, aggressive 
trade assistance programs to soybean farmers, almond growers, et cetera, et cetera. And so our my pitch in the editorial was, hey, seafood processors, seafood harvesters are in the same boat as farm agricultural mm-hmm. agricultural producers. We should be entitled, or not entitled, but should get the same benefit yeah. uh, as, as uh, folks in the agricultural community. And toward the end of the Trump administration, President Trump did institute a what's known as the Seafood Trade Relief Program. That was a huge shot in the arm to many of my members who were compensated as a result of lower prices paid directly attributable to Chinese tariffs. You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, all the news media that I had read when there was all the, the talk of, of tariffs and trade war with China, it really was focused on agriculture. But, but when you think about it, I mean, commercial fishing is a form of harvest and farming and, and why if tariffs are being lobbied at, at both industries, not put them in there. So has that program offset the effect of the Chinese tariffs or is it is there still work to be done? Well, there's still, so in the Trump administration, the trade assistance was given for seafood products harvested in 2019. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, like I said, the, those funds were then made available. I think many fishermen got paid late in 2020 and early in 2021. So, but that was for 2019 product. Mm -hmm. The same tariffs were in place in 2020 and are still in place now. So what we are doing now in DC is is asking our congressional delegation, the USDA, to work with the Trump administration, I'm sorry, with the Biden administration and start the seafood trade relief program again. Mm. However, I will say though that the Biden administration has not indicated whether they are going to continue with trade assistance for farmers. Mm. And so, but nevertheless, all indications are is the Biden administration is not looking to change any of the US tariffs on Chinese products mm. and not surprisingly, China is not uh, <clears throat> going to lower its its tariffs without movement by the United States. So here we are. We're still feeling the effects of it, particularly in the salmon world for pink and chum salmon, which for my members is kind of the bread and butter of their fishery. So it's a work in progress. As I mentioned earlier in the in the show, you know, it's important to work with other groups, and we are working with other groups who are both here in the Northwest and also in the East Coast, the Maine lobstermen and other uh, harvesters on the East Coast. So Interesting. Yeah, you've and you've been involved in multiple legislative efforts, right? And you've, you've met some some folks in politics. What are some of the, the other efforts or, or interesting legislative stuff you've been involved in outside of the the tariff issue? Yeah. So one interesting, and I think a very beneficial one, and this was a couple of years ago, had to do with unemployment tax Mm -hmm. for uh, crew members. So crew members, as you know, Colin, 
they they are kind of in a different legal world than shoreside workers, including compensation to them. Uh, crew members are considered, for tax purposes, independent contractors. Mm-hmm. So, but in any event, with respect to unemployment compensation, Washington was unlike the other coastal Western states, California, Oregon, and Alaska, where boat owners did not have to pay unemployment taxes for crew wages. Mm-hmm. We effectively made the pitch several years ago and changed that. So now employers, vessel owners are no longer required to pay into the unemployment system for crew members, but they can do it voluntarily if they do if they chose to do so. So that gets it in line with Alaska. And, and that's a, another important thing here. Uh, my members are involved in fisheries in California, Oregon, Washington, and Alaska. And so, you know, it's important that we have, from a business owner's perspective, continuity. So you're not having to pay unemployment tax in one state, but not in another. It's confusing. Yeah, that was a, that was a big deal. And, you know, and, you know, we've done other issues in the past, you know, maybe smaller kind of esoteric ones, you know, that are important to the, the membership, but uh, maybe not very interesting to your listenership. But uh, any event, yeah, it's always, we're always involved in something. Oh, you know, I will say other Coast Guard regulations that, uh, or Coast Guard or laws regarding safety that sometimes are outdated and need to be fine-tuned. So we're always working with our friends in Congress, both in Alaska and Washington, mm-hmm. on important Coast Guard legislation. Well, that must be fun to do. Is uh, I got to ask you though, your day to day. I imagine you don't have a typical day. What What is your? Do you have a typical day? If so, what is it like? Well, you know, and it depends on I think the time of year. So, yeah. So this year, this time of year, you know, our fleets, particularly the salmon fleet, are engaged. I mean, they're fishing salmon right now, uh, although it's probably getting toward the tail end in Bristol Bay and in other salmon fisheries from in the western Aleutians all the way to southeast Alaska. Believe it or not, we also have fisheries here in in Puget Sound, Fraser, Sockeye, and Pink Run, which takes place in the San Juan Islands. So with fishing, you're going to have claims. You're going to have collisions, groundings, injuries. So a lot of the time is is uh, working with staff here in kind of dealing with those claims and making sure everything is done correctly. So that takes a lot of time. And then, and then you know, for example, today I was on a conference call or a virtual meeting with the Fraser panel with our Canadian counterparts, monitoring the status of the Fraser Sockeye run. And hopefully later this summer, if the run returns, the pink salmon run returns as forecast, then authorizing tribal and all citizens fisheries, uh, the Point Roberts and San Juan Islands area. So, you know, that makes me want to ask you, you we've had obviously a, a really weird last 
18 months with the pandemic, how how have your members kind of met the challenges of the pandemic? I mean, were they last year was very challenging, not just for our organization, but for all fishing organizations. You know, in terms of knowing what the requirements were in Alaska, that was always kind of a shifting set of regulations, but making sure our members were fully advised about what was required, what was allowed, what was not allowed. Thankfully, we were able to get through last season without a single COVID case and a crew member. So far, we have not been advised of any illnesses on board the vessel. But yeah, you're right. It was a huge challenge. It was a huge challenge for the processing sector and in getting workers and making sure that workers were safe. Much better this year, thankfully, with the uh, with the availability of the vaccine. But yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was going to say when you said you, you had no COVID cases, I was I, my instinct was to say, "Wow, you're lucky." But you don't have a result like that with luck. You have a result like that as a result of lots of efforts, sustained efforts, and consistency of of following whatever protocols get put in place. That's that's yeah. really commendable. Yeah, and you know, we help coordinate the availability of testing down here at. Fisherman's Terminal with a local, with Dr. Ann Jarris of Discovery Health. Mm-hmm. She was very, and her organization was very helpful. We helped coordinate testing with the Port of Seattle, mm-hmm. who was also very helpful. So yeah, it was a very a busy and stressful time, not to mention, you know, everybody working remotely and, you know, all that comes along with it. So yeah. Anyway. Well, and you you have a large membership, right? How, how many members is it over two hundred? Uh, for for per se vessel owners, we have nearly three hundred members. So we have a, a a pool that we manage that caters to the same fleet, the fifty eight foot kind of combination mm-hmm. platform where vessel owners fish. You know, they can use the, their boats for crab for longline pots, for cod fisheries and uh, black cod fisheries, and also longline salmon. So that's one kind of group, and that's the that's the same vessel reserve. And those those folks are members of PSVOA. But we also manage a fleet, uh, or I shouldn't say a fleet, a pool for Bristol Bay salmon drift vessels. Oh. That pool has grown grown dramatically. I think we're close to 350 vessels. And then another pool that has smaller vessels that operate in smaller than 58 foot that operate in Southeast, typically one, two, or three person operations. So, Mm. I mean, all told, we've got, you know, close to 900 vessels under our kind of insurance program. Wow. Well, so they 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 got through the pandemic well. They've got the seafood relief program. What what would you say is a one of the bigger challenges facing vessel owners these days? And and what advice do you think you'd give them about it? The seafood industry, like many industries, and like many natural resource industries, is subject to natural cycles in production. Mm-hmm. Recently. In Southeast Alaska, for example, 
we've seen consistently below average returns. Mm. And so obviously, as an organization, there's not much that we can do about that. But I will say, though, that what is concerning with this recent kind of downturn are kind of uh, implications with the warming, global warming, Mm. and the warming of the oceans. Mm -hmm. And salmon are incredibly resilient. They've survived different conditions for centuries. But I will say, though, that with climate change, there is concern about what's next. I mean, are we going to continue to see blobs, if you will, in the in the in the Gulf of Alaska, warm temperature, which negatively impacts the food source that salmon rely on when they when they spend their time at sea before they migrate back. So that's a concern. Climate change is a concern. I think another concern is that's kind of ironically related to that is this movement toward uh, non-fossil fuels. And on the West Coast, that means potential for wind farms. You know, and everybody thinks, hey, well, that's great. But not if you make your living as a commercial fisherman. There are places where wind farms would definitely have a negative impact on the ability of folks to access productive fishing grounds. So that is something that is certainly on our radar screen and watching those developments closely. Um, is that because so, you're, you're talking about like floating wind farms? Floating or? wind farms, correct. Okay. Yes. And I was talking with a colleague of mine who represents the a lot of uh, longline fishermen that fish on the West Coast. They are really restricted because of bird issues, mm. uh, particularly albatross, mm. uh, which is an endangered bird. So the fear is, is that, you know, with these wind farms, we're going to have losses to bird populations. Mm. And so then what does that mean in terms of allowable impacts, ESA listed bird populations mm. uh, for the fishing industry? There's only so many impacts that are, are available. So that's, that's a real concern as well. Yeah. So those are two issues and I could go on and on and on, but <laughs> those are certainly things that are concerning to us moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. I mean, it, just how uh, interconnected everything is and made, reminded me of a time where one of my clients in, in the crab fishery up North had, at least perceived some pretty significant effects in terms of where the resource had moved and kind of related that to changes in temperature. So that's interesting. I guess just just to wait and see and, and take it step by step. What's what's you know, Bob, you've been in the maritime industry long enough to 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 see changes over time and 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 maybe your perception of it changed uh, over time as well. I know that when I first started practicing maritime law, I had a very different view of shipping and fishing and what really all that entailed and the relationship to shoreside transportation. What's what's one myth or misconception you think looms out there about the maritime industry among people who just really aren't as familiar with it? I think the perception is at least the fishing industry. And it may be, well, and it's certainly glamorized in, in shows like The Deadliest Catch. And, and there have been other kind of 
commercial fishing shows that 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 the commercial fishermen are a bunch of wild cowboys and you know that they're not concerned about safety and but that's uh, in my experience far from the truth you know like i said many of our members are family are orientated businesses and and this has been the case for for many many years in that oftentimes if you grow up in a fishing family you learn the trade you know you might go to college and and become uh, get an electrical engineering degree or what have you but you know there's definitely uh, something that brings people back and want to uh, have a career in commercial fishing so if you're going to have a family business then obviously you're concerned about the safety and uh, of your own family i will say that in my experience the real fisherman is not what is often portrayed on some of these popular shows be it deadliest catch i don't mean to single deadliest catch out or or any of that but certainly you know the media uh, they want to make this show interesting uh, so that people tune in so that's how how they do it so you know there have been other shows i think the other thing too is the fishermen you know they don't really care about the resource they want to catch the last fish well that's far from the case because in order to have a sustainable resource that you can rely on year to year you need to trust your managers who manage the resource and make sure that you know that the harvest is do not exceed allowable limits and that you preserve uh, and perpetuate fisheries for years to come. You know, that's right. I mean, it's, it's so fundamental that businesses need predictability, consistency in order to be sustainable. Otherwise, you don't have a long-term career. And I agree with you. I mean, that was a misperception I had before I started working for, for fishing vessel owners. And it's really the case that they they are generally uh, very good stewards of the resource and the environment because uh, that's their bottom line. And I think they also, you know, respect the environment in which they work. Um, Absolutely. You know, kind of thinking broad about the maritime industry, you know, you talk about family businesses and who's all involved in those. What do you think is one thing that the maritime industry can do to, to better foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? There are availabilities or openings for people in the maritime industry that want to make it a career. So I think the challenge is reaching out to broad groups and not just the traditional folks that are involved, but make a conscious effort to reach out to groups, segments of of our society that, you know, haven't been involved in the maritime field, you know, fishing, shipping, what have you, because there are opportunities. And I know, for example, organizations such as Sea Grant, which is a federally funded organization, our organization and one of our members has been involved in a training program to provide just basic skills or introduce people to, you know, the idea of working on a commercial fishing boat getting them an opportunity to go out and learn about it, see if it's for them. So I think that type of effort is, I mean, I, I applaud it now. It's a little bit late 
coming. Certainly, I think more of that can be can be done and accomplished. And it and there is work ongoing on that. So, but we need to do a better job in in letting folks know groups like I say that haven't been represented in the uh, maritime industry that we want you and jobs are available and it's uh and can be a rewarding and fascinating and you know and you can make a good living doing it yeah so. you know it's it's interesting in the maritime industry uh, and, and maritime law is such old law and we, we even see I think you know references to really a male-dominated workforce even in even in how case law refers to crew members as Jones Act seamen. In fact, our, our firm a few years ago started using the term seafarer because we recognize it's it's not all men, nor ought it, uh, nor should it be. But there's so there's lots of work to be done. That's no, that's you're sure. you're right, and we are seeing more and more women owning their own boats, particularly in Bristol Bay, and I think it's a great thing. I know you you see more and more women kind of take kind of a position like I have being advocates for, for fishing organizations. Yep. And uh, I'm doing what I can to continue that here at PSUA. Oh, that's great. So, so Bob, what's, how do you think you are, your staff or coworkers or maybe your members would describe you? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. You didn't give me that question in advance. Colin, <laughs> so, uh, how would they describe me? Well, I would hope that they would describe me as fair, reasonable, and, you know, I would hope knowledgeable about fisheries and, and maritime law. I think, you know, at this point stage in my career, I think the most that I can offer is kind of my experience and, and kind of guidance to others. So hopefully people are not afraid to ask me for advice, members, if they have crew issues or, you know, my staff in terms of dealing with a delicate situation, I hope, and I think it is true that people are not afraid to call me and, and, and ask for advice. I mean, I can't help people catch more fish. I'm not good in that department, but uh, I certainly can inform people about issues that are going on and developments in different fisheries as people make decisions about, you know, whether to acquire permits uh, or whether to get involved in a new fishery. So, mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. What's, what's something you love to do when you're not working? That's another uh, good one. I'm an empty nester. My wife and I, our two daughters, one lives local and the other one lives on the East Coast. But, you know, so that gives us more time to travel and to to exercise, I love to ride my bike. I love listening to music. I like to cook and enjoy time with family and friends. Mm-hmm. So cool. So you mentioned kind of uh, uh, helping out the staff learn. Uh, I kind of got a sense of you know, some mentorship there. What's what's one you know, super important thing you've learned in life that you would tell somebody who you know maybe came on new to your staff? What would something you'd impart them, life lesson? <laughs> well, I, I think I always tell people, and this is based on my, my own experience, is treat everyone professionally, even your adversary, mm-hmm. with respect. Because 
at some point you may need to rely or ask an adversary for a favor. So that's one thing. You know, you can disagree with people and strongly, but at the end of the day, you know, you need to respect your colleagues. And then particularly if you expect them to respect you. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. I think, and, you know, and Colin, as you know, particularly in, in the legal world, I mean, you know, it gets, it gets very contentious and sometimes things get personal. Same is true in the world of fish politics, particularly when we're dealing with very emotional, which oftentimes end up emotional allocation battles. Mm-hmm. So treat everyone with respect. Also, be prepared for, for the twist and turn, for opportunities that come your way. Yeah. And don't be afraid to go in a different path either if an opportunity presents itself. And you're a great example of that. Yes. You had one path and you chose a different, and it's it's been and continues to be a very fulfilling yeah. career, obviously. Um, yeah, no, it's been a great career and I still enjoy it. And I'm not quite ready to retire yet, but I really do enjoy what I do. So. Cool. Well, Bob, can you share, what's the best way for our audience, uh, if they want to learn more about Per St. Vessel Owners Association, where, where should they go? They can go to our website, www.psvoa.com. And if you go to the website, you can see, I'm sorry, www.psvoa.org. You would think I would know that. You can go to the website and we have a, a section called news and we try to update it with uh, newsy stuff about things that affect the industry, about recent legislation of notes, things such as the Seafood Trade Relief Program, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. things about the CARES Act and what uh, funds are available for folks in the seafood industry that that were negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So that would be a good place to go. And the website also has some good background information about our organization and what it is that we do. Awesome. So listeners, that's psvoa.org. Visit and learn more. And thank you, Bob, so much for joining us today. That's all the time we've got for this episode. And so listeners, we'll see you next time when you know it's maritime.